Hey, you're all looking good today. I already said that, but you are. I mean it. Going through the book of Hebrews, hitting on some of the the key themes there and passages within the book of Hebrews. We'll do one more next week. Hebrews 11. Um, (coughs) Oh, excuse me there. All right. Um, But we've been touching upon some key passages there. So Hebrews was written to a Jewish population. They were Hebrews, okay? So they've been raised in what we would maybe call Judaism today, all right? Um, But it's what we see in the Old Testament. Um, And so a a Jew today and somebody that's in Judaism continues on with that. Most of them have not accepted Christ. Now, there is Messianic Jews that have accepted Christ as Messiah, um, but the other ones still follow the practices of the Old Testament. Those were not to be something end in themselves. They were to point people to Christ, okay? And they were to be um, an illustration, if you want to say, um, helping us to know how to embrace Christ and what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. In other words, even just when we're talking about communion and sacrifice, we get the understanding of that through the Old Testament sacrifices that after those sacrifices were offered day after day, year after year, the cost the expense, the sacrifice that was given for those offerings, it helped us to appreciate the cost of our sin, all right? And then Jesus comes and his sacrifice was once and for all, all right? So the Old Testament was to prepare us for what Jesus would do and to help fulfill that. So we've talked about, in the first few chapters, we talked about these believers were being tempted to drift away, and so the author of Hebrews is encouraging to hold on to their faith Um, They were being tempted to go back to the Old Testament law and the old way of doing things and to give up on following Christ. So they were facing persecution, and we saw that some of them uh, were thrown in jail. Some of them, their their property was confiscated. So we're not talking about, hey, you know, just name-calling here type of persecution. We are talking about people um, that, that were actually facing some pretty severe persecution. All right. Some even would lose their life. And we'll see that in next week's lesson. All right. So the Old Testament was intended to prepare the way for Christ. um, And some of those were. um, um, I'm going to get back to my notes. It was to prepare our way for Christ. And these practices were not intended to be an end in themselves, but to point to Christ. All right. So the Sabbath day we talked about last week and how that pointed towards the rest for God's people. Today we're going to be in chapter 9 of Hebrews. And this is a great passage about the blood of Christ and what the blood of Christ accomplished for us. All right? Um, Some churches have even, they've taken it out of their hymns. Uh, They don't talk about the blood of Christ anymore. Um, But that is not, is so integrated into the gospel message. It was by His blood that we are saved, right? And our sins are forgiven. So, We want to begin in verse 1, going through chapter 12 is where we'll dive in. And just let's just bow our head in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, Take your word and apply it to our hearts and our lives. It is the living word of God. And so we just pray that our hearts are open and that our spirit is sensitive to what you would speak to us today. We ask it in your name. Amen. Let's read together, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. 
In this first room, there was a lampstand, the table of consecrated bread, and this was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the golden uh, ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant, so the Ten Commandments. Above the ark were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. So there's these um, cherubim angels that were designed, that were on top of the mercy seat, the cover for the ark. Okay, Um, But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room, into that holy place, to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, the most holy place, um, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that had been committed in ignorance. So when he goes back there with that lamb's blood um, into that most holy place once a year, he sprinkles blood on that ark of the covenant, um, the presence of God, and he offers it for the sins of himself, but also for his people, all right? Because these were earthly priests. They were human beings just like you and I, all right? Which is different from what Christ would do. The Holy Spirit was showing us that by this way into the most holy place had not been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for this present time, indicating that the gifts and the sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They were only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. All right, so they went through all these sacrifices. Were they saved? They went through all these sacrifices for their sins. Were they saved? The answer is yes. But those sacrifices w- didn't actually atone for their sins. If they offered him in faith, God honored that. And when Jesus died on the cross, his sacrifice atoned for their sins as well as it did for ours. Does that make sense? All right. Verse 11. This brings us up to our first point here. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are our Now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. That is not one made with human hands. So now we're talking about an earthly sanctuary tabernacle. That is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of blood of the goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by what? His own blood, right? On the cross of Calvary. Obtaining for us eternal redemption. So the, first of all, when we see here that the blood of Christ does one important thing, it secures our eternal redemption. Okay, And that just comes right out of verse 12 there. It secures our eternal redemption. So when Jesus entered that heavenly sanctuary with his blood, like the earthly priests, there was a big difference in that he offered his own blood. And he didn't have to offer for his own sins because he was the Lamb of God that was without blemish or stain, right? And he offered his own blood once and for all, obtaining for us our eternal redemption. Now, I know redemption is a a word you use a lot, right? Now, there is a movie called Redemption, isn't there? I'm not sure. I think there is, right? Um, Redemption. What is redemption, right? 
Well, it's a process of setting free someone by a payment of a ransom price. Okay, in the case, in this case, it would be the death of Jesus and his blood. So redemption is in a metaphor, an image that uh, goes back into old biblical times and even into our modern times with the practice of slavery. Okay, but in biblical times, a slave could be set free if someone paid their ransom, a ransom price, right? They would pay that money and the slave would go free, right? There was freedom there. That was an image to us, a a word picture that helps us understand that we are all slaves to sin, all right? We are. And there's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation, to pay for your salvation. You can have millions of dollars, billions of dollars. It's still not going to secure your salvation. What will? The blood of Christ will, right? And by faith, we are able to receive what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. And we are released from that slavery and bondage to sin. Verse 15 says, so we'll jump ahead just a little bit. We'll read that later too. But it says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant that those who have been called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set free, set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. He sets us free. I want us to look at Isaiah, jump back to Isaiah. Isaiah is kind of known as the gospel in the Old Testament. But Isaiah writes what he writes hundreds of years before Christ would die on the cross. But it is one of the most vivid descriptions of what would happen on the cross. So God spoke to Isaiah through the Holy Spirit what to write down and what to say. This is what it says in verses 5 through 6, chapter 53. And it's a song, okay? If you were to go into the Hebrew, it's a song that was written. It's called one of the servant songs that is prophetic referring to the Messiah, referring to Jesus. But he was pierced for our transgressions. So notice that he is on the cross. He is not there because of his own sin, right? He is pierced for our transgressions, right? You and me. And he was crushed for our iniquities, sin, transgressions. The punishment that brought us peace with God was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Now, we can use that in a sense of physical healing, but it definitely refers to um, our spiritual healing, that our relationship with God was healed, all right? Sin was taken out of the way. That's what separated Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Was everything was great, and they had fellowship with God in the Garden of Eden, and then sin entered the picture, right? And then they had to leave the garden, right? They no longer walked with God in the cool of the day. There was that separation now. And so sin separated us with God. And now with Jesus died on the cross, our relationship was reconciled and it was healed. Verse 6 says, We all were like sheep that have gone astray. Each has turned his own way. Okay, sheep can kind of do that, right? And the Lord has laid upon him, upon Jesus, the iniquity, the sin of who? Of us all. It was placed upon him, right? He was that ransom for us. He is the one that obtained our eternal redemption and salvation. And it's eternal because it was done once and for all, right? 
like the other priests, day after day, they would go into the temple and offer these sacrifices. Um, Jesus, once and for all, laid down his life. His blood settled the debt of sin against us that we could not pay. Uh, He paid that debt. Amen? And this gift is available to all who believe and accept that. So if we accept that, we have the gift of eternity and heaven. If we refuse it, um, there is the... There is hell, you know. We don't like to use that word, but there is hell and the consequence of rejecting the gift of God. Let's look at verses 13 through 22. So Jesus, by his blood, we um, obtained eternal redemption. But then we also see a second thing here, verses 13 through 22. It says that the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean sanctified them so that they could be outwardly clean. So that was a big thing. If you read through the Old Testament, especially the book of Leviticus, it talks about clean and unclean, right? And so there were certain things that made you ceremonially unclean. You couldn't go into the temple to worship if you were unclean. And all that was to really help us to understand that God wants a clean heart, okay? And that when we come before Him, to come before Him with a clean and sanctified heart, all right? Um, so that they were outwardly clean. Now, how much more then will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant that those who have called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free okay, from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the first case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. But because a will is in full force, is in force only when somebody has died, it never takes effect while the one who made it is still living. This is why the first covenant, which was not put into effect without blood, when Moses was proclaimed, had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, branches, hyssop, which is a plant, sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled the blood both with the tabernacle and everything he used uh, in its ceremonies. In In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Wow. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The second thing that we see is that the blood of Christ purifies us to serve the living God. In these verses, the blood of sacrifices cleansed the items of the temple so that the people could approach a holy and an awesome God. The blood of Christ here, referring to that, cleanses our conscience so that we can serve the living God. And then verse 22 says, it reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, right? Now, the question I have is, have you ever had a stain on one of your favorite shirts that you can't get out? My mom was here, yeah. She had her sweatshirt, and she had a stain on her, her sweatshirt, and she goes, I can't get this out. So, But you've had a stain on your shirt. I don't know, maybe, who knows what the stain was. Some stains are easier to get out than others, right? 
Now, I want you to think about the sin stain in your life, in your conscience, that you just can't get out. The thing or things that you've done that they tend to haunt you more than other things. Right? 409 won't get that clean. Shout won't get it out. Right? What's going to remove those stains on your conscience? The blood of Jesus deals with sins that trouble the consciences of human beings. This is important to catch, folks. The things that condemn us, the things that make us feel unworthy, the things that keep us from living all in for God. And I say that because if, if you feel like your conscience is stained or has that stain on it that you're not worthy, you're never going to be able to give yourself fully to God because you don't feel like you're worthy. I, I'm not worthy to do that. I'd never be worthy to do ministry. I'd never be worthy to do that or do this because I don't feel like I'm worthy before God. The gospel is not about external change. It begins with inner transformation in our lives. And the blood of Christ is able to purify us. I don't know how it all works. I don't have any formula. All I know is that when we invite Christ into our lives, He is able to change us inwardly and renew us. Romans 12, 1-2, Paul talks a little bit about this. Paul was not a perfect fo- man, guys, right? Women? People? He wasn't, was he? I mean, he, he was one of the greatest missionaries that has probably ever walked this earth. You look at his letters and uh, the places he went. But leading up to that, he would be considered a murderer. It was at his hands Stephen was killed and stoned. Um, there was other Christians. We know he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. People had died at his hands. He had that on his conscience that he had persecuted people that had followed Christ until Christ got a hold of him. You following me? Paul says in Romans 12, 1 through 2, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, so in view of what Christ did on the cross of Calvary, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So you don't have to go to the altar and put a knife in yourself. What God calls us to do is to give our life as an offering and sacrifice to Him, holy and pleasing to Him. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's a renewal of the mind that comes through the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, and through the blood of Christ. We all have sins that we regret There are sins and then there are sins, right? And we can believe God to forgive us of maybe a white lie speeding down the highway. I don't know if that's a sin or not. But what about the person that takes the life of an innocent person in a brutal way? Or someone that gave themselves completely over to sexual sins or drug addiction or you fill in the blanks. We read about those people in the paper sometimes. What about those things? Can God cleanse and remove those stains? According to Scripture, He can. There are consequences for our sin. Some of those sins you're going to have to serve jail time for, right? But that doesn't mean that God can't still rescue and save and cleanse a heart and a soul. Amen?
And what I have found is often easier to forgive others of their horrible sins than it is to forgive who? Ourselves. Yeah. Sometimes hard to forgive ourselves. First John 3, 19 through 22. I like what John says here. He says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we have set our hearts at rest in his presence. And it, so it gives an imagery that our hearts are at rest, at peace. We're okay with God. We don't have anything to hide and we're not feeling inferior. We're feeling um, in relationship with him. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. I like that passage. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. See, I think that's what God wants us to have. He wants us to have confidence to come before Him because our hearts don't condemn us and that we're good with God and that He's cleansed us, He's purified us, and we're holy before Him. That's good, isn't it? That's good. Only the blood of Christ can cleanse us and remove the guilt, the shame, the regret, so that we can serve God with all that we have. All that we have to give God our best. And that is what the world needs today. We ne God, God needs the church to be clicking on all cylinders, right? And for us to be doing all that God has called us to be and not living in shame or regret or I wish I, you know, I wish I had done that or, you know, what ifs. He wants us to be living in His presence, clean conscience, clean mind, pursuing Him, honoring Him, glorifying Him with all that we have. Amen? Free of all that stuff. Verses 23 through 28, let's bring it home here. He says, It was necessary then for the copies of the earthly things to be purified with these sacrifices. So the author of Hebrews does a great job of showing the Old Testament and the New Testament and how that was a picture of what is to come. Okay, But the heavenly things themselves uh, were with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter the sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place, every year with the blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of, him, of himself. Verse 27, Just as the people were destined, just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. So this is a good verse and sharing with friends that, hey, we're all going to die. We're all going to face God in judgment. Okay? Nobody's excluded from that. Okay? Verse 27. So Christ sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin. Okay? So he came the first time to bear sin. But the second time he will bring salvation to all that are what? That are waiting for him. Amen? And so the final thing is we see the blood of Christ makes our salvation final. You know, there are some things when you sign on that dotted line, right? You buy the house. Sign on it down. It kind of makes it final, right? Um, the agreement. There are certain things. When the, when the scoreboard and the, gets to zero, right? The score is final, right? There's no more play after that. It's final. The score is final, right? It's settled. 
And that's what this author of Hebrews is saying here is once Jesus died on the cross, our salvation was final. There's no more sacrifices that have to be made. It's been paid for when Jesus went to the cross. No more sacrifices. Jesus died on the cross once and for all. It's finished. It's final. And when Jesus died on the cross, his sacrifice covered over all the sins of those prior to the cross and those after until he returns that second time. Abraham, Noah, David, and others were all saved by faith. So that's next week, just as you and I. By faith, the blood of Jesus was applied to their debt just as to ours. And so we see that the blood of Christ satisfied the debt that we have before God because of our sins. And it says in verse 28, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away our sins. And that's kind of a reference back probably to the Day of Atonement. So that was the once a year where they would sacrifice um, a lamb. They actually had a goat, some goats, right? They had sacrifices but it's kind of cool. They would sacrifice one goat, and the other goat, what would they do with? They placed their hands on both of them, and the sins were transferred. One was sacrificed. The other one was what? Sent away into the wilderness, right? And it represented that that goat, we call it sometimes the scapegoat, right? So we call that. But it represented that our sins were being carried away. It was a visual for us. Our sins were being transferred, and they were being carried away. Jesus took upon himself. Remember we read that in Isaiah? We'll come back to that here. That he took upon himself our sin and he carried it away. Amen? And he made our salvation final. I'm going to have the musicians come. And we're going to close with a closing prayer uh, and communion today. The blood of Christ secures our eternal redemption. It purifies us to serve the living God. And it makes our salvation final. And I don't know if one of those points just really hit home with you today. But I pray that God can just just speak to you through that. And by the Holy Spirit that He can even bring it home and speak whatever truth He needs to to you today. Um, But I want to lead us in a prayer of salvation before we go any further. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of people. That includes you. Includes me, but it includes you. And if you don't have that hope of salvation, um, I talk to too many people that they don't know if they're going to heaven or not. They just, they don't have that assurance. And you can know that today, amen? And so I'm going to invite us to pray together. And... um, whether you're listening online or here today, I just, I'm going to lead in a salvation prayer. I believe if you pray with, your, with all your heart and believe it in your heart, that God honors that. So would you pray with me today saying, Dear God, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for the blood of Christ that cleanses me and purifies me makes me whole.